It's Monday, April 8th, and this is TikTok. A big hello to all of our listeners. I'm Andrew Mock with the global news you need to know. Today, we're focusing on a story that you couldn't ignore on your social media feeds even if you wanted to. That's right, it's all about Beyonce. The undisputed queen of surprise album releases is joining forces with Netflix for her own special. It's called Homecoming, and Netflix released the trailer today, which has lots of concert footage, all set to the audio of Maya Angelou. I know that when I finish doing what I'm sent here to do, I will be called home, and I will go home without any fear. Joining me to talk more about this story is Bloomberg's Lucas Shaw. He's an entertainment and media reporter in Los Angeles. Lucas, thanks for coming on. Great to be here. So was this partnership between Beyonce and Netflix inevitable? I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than these two empires in either of their industries. Yeah, the, the Beyonce documentary fits into Netflix's strategy of getting big names to make programs for them that are relatively low cost. So, you know, in stand-up comedy, Netflix recruited Chris Rock and Amy Schumer and Dave Chappelle, the biggest names in the industry, uh, and then paid them really healthy sums of money, you know, reported 20 or $30 million a special. They, Netflix made a special out of Bruce Springsteen's Broadway show, and now it's been dabbling in concert documentaries. It's already released uh, one from the Taylor Swift Reputation Tour, and now it's partnering with Beyonce, and those are two of the biggest pop stars in the world. And why do you think Netflix here? I mean, Beyonce's first documentary, Life is But a Dream, that was on HBO. HBO also released another concert series uh, for Lemonade. I wonder if it's worth wondering why, uh, why she might make the switch to Netflix. Yeah, I think the switch is indicative of a shift in power in entertainment. That's one way of reading it, certainly, which is that Netflix is now seen as the most attractive destination for a big-ticket event, more so than HBO. But I I also think it's a reflection of a a shift in strategy or divergence in strategy at HBO and Netflix. You know, as Netflix has spent more and more on stand-up and documentaries and other one-off specials, HBO has has pulled back a bit, because HBO still programs like a live channel, and it bases its decisions on live viewership, and HBO executives will often say that things like stand-up or a concert documentary, they don't actually do that well for them. Whereas Netflix is thinking from the perspective of an on-demand service, and not only can it get a bunch of people to watch the show the day it comes out, but if you have that name Beyonce on one of those tiles on Netflix, people might just keep coming back to it or clicking on it if they happen to stumble upon it. Now, this is sort of a different type of story from from the headlines we've been hearing about Netflix uh, recently. We're a month or two outside of Oscar season, of course, where uh, it faced a lot of criticism from big-name movie studios and actors and directors. And yet now we have this really direct contrast where a big name in the music industry is embracing the streaming service. Do you think that signals that there may be some advantages of working with Netflix or is it, is it just that it's too big to ignore? Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that the, the pool of talent is not homogenous, and that even somebody like Steven Spielberg, who has kind of tried to put limits on what Netflix movies are available for the Oscars, probably doesn't hate Netflix. He, lo- he likes it as a user, and he may like some of the shows that they're making, but he's defending the kind of tradition of going to the movie theater and the importance of cinema. Uh, I just think Netflix is, is too big to ignore for most people in the entertainment industry, and it does appeal to a lot of 
writers, directors, or in this case, musicians, because Netflix pays a lot of money, which is always a good thing. It delivers a very large audience, which is important to these people, and it tends to give a lot of creative freedom. So Netflix will often go to somebody and just say, what do you want to make? Or what's something that you wanted to make that nobody else will let you do and will do it? Because Netflix is definitely in the business of trying to become a home for talent. It's aware that there are some people in the creative community who don't like working with Netflix, who have kind of developed problems with it, but for the most part, it tries to take a really talent-friendly friendly approach because it's taking on all these established studios that have years of, in some cases, decades of relationship with big talent. I want to ask more about Netflix's strategy, as you mentioned earlier. We know, you know, there's more than 139 million subscribers globally. And when we talk about strategy, obviously the bottom line is money. Do you think moves like this funnel down to the customer and, and make it easier for them to say that we're going to eventually increase subscription prices? You know, it's possible. Uh, Netflix often uses its explanation of pricing is that it has to price based on what it's providing. And so the more it's made, the more it spends on original, the more it feels comfortable raising prices. And Netflix is in a period right now where it is kind of tinkering with raising prices everywhere, or in a lot of parts of the world, it has raised prices in, in the U.S. and across much of North and South America. Uh, it's raised some prices in Europe, but at the same time, it's testing with lower prices in, in Asia. And so I, I don't know that one piece of programming is going to tell you much about pricing. Um, Netflix is, is really a testing culture, and so it's going to see how the price increases in North America and Europe go, to whether it can keep raising prices in those markets. It's going to see whether it's tests with lower lower prices in parts of, of Asia work and whether it can lower prices there. Uh, but I do think that if the Beyonce documentary works and if the, the Taylor Swift documentary is popular, you'll see a lot more of these. Because like I said, Netflix really is a, a testing culture. Um, and so if it sees success with a couple of big concert documentaries, my guess is that we'll see it do more of them. And if it opens up a whole new genre of programming that people love, that could, of course, lead down the line to, to more price increases. And, and judging by this partnership and, and the news of the day, given this, this seemingly new strategy, this model they seem to be going for, who's down to compete with them? I think, you know, Netflix internally probably views YouTube as its biggest competition, just because of, Netflix is TV and entertainment on the internet. And the only company uh, or the only service that attracts more users and more overall time is YouTube. YouTube also happens to be very big in the music space. You know, YouTube will be running a live stream of Coachella, the very festival that Beyonce performed at that was the basis of this documentary. But there is an important distinction between the two, which is that Netflix is willing to spend huge sums of money on original programming, whereas YouTube relies on getting most of its programming for free from its users, from people who want to use it to promote itself. So I think that they're competing for attention, and certainly if Netflix invests more in music video, YouTube becomes a really important competitor. But I don't think we would expect to see YouTube spend whatever Netflix spent on a one-off documentary. If so, that'd be a big new strategy for YouTube. And I wonder if I can ask about controlling the narrative, this being from Beyonce's side of things. Obviously, this is a film about Beyonce, by Beyonce. She's well known for meticulously curating her image. She directed her earlier documentaries. What does that say about uh, you know this piece of entertainment and the way that people view it when we know it's not necessarily through a third-party lens? 
Right. Well, look, as you said, Beyonce is, is very famous for controlling her image, and I think people tend to like her for it. One of the, uh, one of the byproducts of the social media generation is that talent has been able to get a lot, gain a lot more control over their narrative, over their image. There's, pretty, there's very little that we see of Beyonce that she has not kind of preordained or decided in advance that we are allowed to see. Uh, and, and Netflix is, frankly, happy to be a kind of a tool in all of this. They're not going to come in and tell Beyonce exactly how she has to make a documentary. I'm sure that they talked about this, and, I, and Beyonce handpicked the director and said this is when, uh, when we should do it and when we should release it. All right, that's all very good to know. Again, I've been speaking with Lucas Shaw. He's an entertainment and media reporter with Bloomberg News in Los Angeles. Lucas, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. Turning now to other news of the day, here's what's happening. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen has resigned. She tweeted yesterday she submitted her resignation following a meeting at the White House in which President Trump reportedly voiced his frustration with the U.S.'s border security policies. Nielsen's time at the Department of Homeland Security will no doubt be remembered for the zero-tolerance prosecution policy that resulted in the separation of thousands of families attempting to cross the U.S. border. Today, she voiced her support for Trump's immigration policies. I share the president's goal of securing the border. I will continue to support all efforts to address the humanitarian and security crisis on the border. The United States is officially designating Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps a foreign terrorist organization, President Trump announced today. The move caps a month of escalating rhetoric against Iran and its backing of militia groups in Syria, Lebanon, Iraq and Yemen. It's the first time that the U.S. has branded an entire foreign government as a terrorist entity. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo explained why. We're doing it because the Iranian regime's use of terrorism as a tool of statecraft makes it fundamentally different from any other government. This historic step will provide the world's leading state sponsor of terror, the financial means to spread misery and death around the world. And finally, British regulators unveiled sweeping rules to penalize tech and social media giants like Google and Facebook if they fail to stop the spread of harmful content online. The move comes on the heels of Australia's aggressive legislation last week that comes with steep fines and jail time for social media companies that fail to quickly remove violent content. UK Digital Secretary Jeremy Wright says Facebook and others recognize the need for an independent regulator to keep its citizens safe. There's an acceptance on his part and the part of many other companies like Facebook that some form of regulation is now inevitable and that they uh, recognize that government should play a part in this. That's your TikTok update. You can find out more about all of the stories you heard about today everywhere we are. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check us out on Instagram at TikTok. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Mock, and don't forget to tune in tomorrow.